Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening. If you would open up a Bible to Matthew, the 11th chapter, we're going to read a couple of verses right there near the top of Matthew, chapter 11, and that'll get us started this evening in our study. We prepare ourselves to spend just a few more minutes together in the pages of God's Word. As we seemingly always do here at Lakeside, we have just a great crowd on a Sunday night. And I, I say that uh, as a word of commendation, and I say that as well because that is just not true. Uh, most other congregations that you visit at on a Sunday night. But I must tell you, I am always thoroughly encouraged by our Sunday evening assemblies, and tonight is no different. I appreciate so much the hearty way in which you have joined in with the singing of those songs. I appreciate Stuart, man. He was on he was on the ball today picking out those songs. If you saw what the sermon was about tonight and you were paying attention to the lyrics of all those songs, man, they just all unified together and even the invitation song and the closing songs just going to continue to build on those same themes. And so I'm glad that we're here tonight, that we can spend these few minutes together encouraging one another in the things that are good and right. I'm reading here in Matthew the eleventh chapter, I'm reading about John the Baptist. And there the text says in Matthew chapter 11 and in verse 2, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? I want you to picture for a moment, if you will, one of these... Olympic-style relay races, maybe the men's 4 by 400 meter relay race. There, of course, are a lot of important components that go into being a, a successful relay team and being successful in a race like that. Somebody would maybe say, well, it's really important that you need to, the, the first guy, whoever's doing that, that first leg of the run, that guy needs to be a fast starter so that he can get the team down the track and get us started on the right foot. Somebody else would say, well, I tell you what, the guy who's running the anchor leg, that guy, got to make sure that that guy's on the ball. Need somebody who's able to finish and finish strong. Lots of important components. But you know what? If you are running the 4 by 400 relay, the most important part of the race is the passing of the baton. Everything depends on the passing of the baton. Everything depends on the runner being able to to time, to set his pace, to be able to match his pace with the guy who's running in front of him, for that guy to be able to reach back, and for you to be able to reach forward, to be able to get that firm grasp, and then to be able to take off and to run. Nothing matters if you don't pass the baton. Nothing matters if you drop the baton. Now, in many ways, I think that that is a pretty apt illustration of Christian parenting. Isn't that right? What we want to do, and as with parents, as we're trying to do all kinds of things for our kids, what we want to do most of all is to be able to pass on the baton of faith to our children. And of course, that seems like that's a pretty easy thing to do whenever our kids are young, when they're like four or five or six or seven. And they're at that age where they're still really excited to go to Bible class. Where VBS is the highlight of the summer for them. But of course, as they grow up, and as the influence of society and friends and culture begins to start working in their lives, sometimes, sometimes that gets a little bit harder to do. It's a little bit harder to pass that baton whenever they're 10 or 11 or 12. Then of course, a day comes... When they hit those teenage years, and now we are juggling, and we're maybe even fumbling that baton back and forth, 
And in fact, we suddenly are starting to realize that we may not actually make this handoff like we hoped that we would. Parents, let me ask you, have you ever entertained that possibility before? You know, I think that begins to come to a mom or a dad's attention whenever a teenager starts asking some very probing questions. You know, we just sang that song, I know that my Redeemer lives. Well, well, how do you know, maybe a teenager would ask. How do you know that our Redeemer lives? How do we know that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Or when your teenager comes to you and says, how can you actually be sure that the Bible is in fact a book from God? You know, are all of my friends who are non-Christians or maybe they're a part of denominational kinds of churches, are they really going to be lost? Are they really going to be hell, going to go hell? How can we actually know that? You know, if God loves us, if God loves me, then why did He let my uncle die? In fact, come to think of it all, how can we really be certain that there is a God? In this world that we live in today, there are plenty of people who are taking shots at Christianity and the Bible and uh, just God in general. So it really should come as no surprise to us that sometimes our teenagers, they might also have some questions about their faith. It really should not be shocking to us at all whenever young people do start to have some doubt. What I'm asking this evening, moms and dads, is I'm asking what are you going to do When your son or your daughter, they come to you and they very genuinely and honestly say, I'm just not so sure about all of this. This evening, I do want to talk with you for a few minutes about the idea of doubt. And while I do think that there is application here tonight really for anybody who is struggling with doubt, uh, whether that's a neighbor or a co-worker or a spouse or a sibling... I think this works in all kinds of different directions, the principles that I'm going to lay forth tonight. But I particularly tonight want to focus on our families. And even more especially, I want to hone the application for parents or for grandparents of a teenage child who is saying, I'm just not really certain about this. I've got a lot of questions. I've got some doubts. You know, as John the Baptist demonstrates for us here in Matthew the 11th chapter, Sometimes we do have some questions. Isn't that what's happening there in verse number 3? At one time, John the Baptist, maybe like a 5 or a 6 year old, had perfect faith in Jesus. No doubts, no questions whatsoever. But some time has passed now, and Jesus didn't exactly do what everybody expected the Messiah was going to do. And so as a result, he has some questions here. He has some questions that need some answers. And what's remarkable about all of that is in the next couple of verses, you continue reading, Jesus actually answers those questions. He helps to alleviate any doubts that John may have had lingering in his mind. And I'm telling you tonight, moms and dads, we need to be ready to do the same thing that Jesus did. We need to be ready and able to do that with our own kids when that time comes. Because make no mistake about it, your child will question virtually everything that you have worked so hard all of their lives to instill in them. And how you handle those doubts, it may make or break them spiritually. In fact, it may well determine whether or not that baton gets passed off successfully. This evening I want to set before you three critical keys for whenever your teenager comes to you and expresses some doubt. 
And I want to suggest that all three of these things, these are absolute musts if that doubt is going to be addressed in a biblical and in an effective way. First and foremost, moms and dads, grandmas and granddads, you got a teenager or maybe even a preteen who comes to you and they express some doubt. Number one, do not, do not overreact, but instead be willing to listen, be willing to hear them out. It is James the first chapter that we need right here because in James chapter 1, James tells us about wrong reactions and he also tells us about right reactions. And that's all packaged nicely here in James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. In James 1 and in verse 19, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Moms and dads, your reaction whenever your teenager comes to you and says, I'm just not so sure about this. I've been wondering about this. Someone at school said this. I saw this on the news. I read this on the internet. I have some unanswered questions. Your reaction in that moment is very Very important. Because your teenager is coming to you and they are telling you something, maybe for the very first time, that is significantly different from what they know you want to actually hear coming out of their mouths. And so your reaction in that critical moment, it is crucial. If you react in anger, what does James say happens? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we end up panicking, if we end up screaming, if we shout, if we cry hysterically, then that is a fail on our part. Because what that says to a young and a developing mind is it says to them, oh, there's something suspicious about this Christianity stuff. Something just isn't really adding up here. It doesn't seem open to honest investigation. It seems like mom or dad's maybe trying to to hide or cover something up here. It's just not intellectually workable. You know, our culture, our culture constantly says in just every way possible that they can and in every means that they can, our culture always says that Christians, we're just fools. That Christianity, it is absolutely foolish. That believers in God, believers in Jesus, we're just dumb and ignorant. And of course, whenever a young person then comes along and they express a little bit of doubt and we we just overreact to that, and we act like it's just, oh, it's the end of the world that they expressed a doubt, then what we have done is we've actually confirmed to our son or our daughter the very ugly stereotype that our world says about us. That's exactly what we do. Look again at James here. James says, be slow to speak and be quick to hear. Listening. Listening honors the other person. Listening says to that other person, I care about what you say. I take you seriously. The things that are on your mind and what you have to say, I am taking that seriously. And as young people try to develop their own faith, they are eventually going to reach that place, maybe reaching a crossroads, where they say, there's just some things here I just don't understand. There's some things that aren't computing and adding up in my mind. Some things that I haven't quite been able to you know, piece it all together. And then they are going to indicate to you, maybe in a very outward way, but maybe in a more subtle way, that if they don't get those issues resolved, 
then they may end up rejecting and walking away from the faith entirely. Now, if we handle that and react correctly, then I think we can help to rekindle some of that real belief. I'm going to tell you, you cannot do that. You will not be successful if your immediate reaction is to just shut that process down. Let's just stop it right there. What do you mean you're not really so sure that there is a God? I can't believe that you actually would have doubts about the inspiration of Scripture. Don't you be asking those kinds of questions. Moms and dads, when we go down that road, when that is our response, we have failed. Because once that question comes out of a teenager's mouth, once they express that doubt, whether we like it or not, that ball's already rolling. That process is underway. And besides, aren't we the people... Aren't we the people who kind of hang our hat on this, and we say it all the time from pulpits, that God honors honest searchers, or truth seekers. We point out to Scripture, we put it like, uh, point to Acts chapter 8. We point to that Ethiopian man riding down the road in his chariot, and how he's reading his Bible, and how he's trying to discover the truth, and we say that. That is what God is looking for. That's what you need to be. You need to be a truth seeker. We point to that woman at the well in John the fourth chapter who was seeking the Messiah and we say that. That's what you need to be, someone who is seeking after the Lord. We point to Acts 17 verse 11 and those noble Bereans who were seeking and searching the Scriptures for the truth. That's what God wants you to do. God wants you to seek the truth. And then, when a young person says, well, I kind of am trying to seek for the truth, and in return what they get is all kinds of criticism from us, and we start questioning their sincerity, and we're suspicious of all of their motives, what does that tell our young person? It tells them that these matters of faith that are so important to us, these matters of faith are not ever to be questioned. They're not ever to be investigated. Instead, they're just to be blindly accepted. You just tilt your head back, and I'm going to pour the Kool-Aid down your throat. You're going to like it. I read about a teenager once who... He went to his preacher and he asked him the question. He said, why does the Bible say that the world was created in six days when scientists say that it took billions of years? And he was asking that as a genuine question. The preacher angrily responded. He said, if you really believed, then you wouldn't ask questions like that. Well, now where are we? Well, I'll tell you where we are. First of all, that teenager knows that something is badly amiss here. And furthermore, what that teenager knows is that that guy who said that, that guy is not an ally in helping me to seek and find the truth. And tonight, moms and dads, I'm saying to you, don't be that guy. Your kid comes to you and they express some kind of doubt, something that they're struggling with. Maybe the first thing you should say is, it's okay. It's all right. All of us have doubts of different kinds throughout our life. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that in a call, in a collected sort of way. Let's keep it on an even keel. And then, moms and dads, you shut up. You close your mouth and you listen. You listen to what they have to say. Because I tell you, if we will listen, then maybe they will listen as well. Which leads us then to this second important key. That is, when your teenager comes to you and they express some doubt, then you need to recognize what's going on there. You need to recognize that what they are trying to do is they are trying to develop their own personal faith. That's what's going on there. 
They are trying to figure out what they really believe. Mom and Dad, let me ask you, we don't just want to, to force feed all the answers to our kids' questions, do we? Is that, is that what we want to do? Little Johnny comes in and says, Dad, how do we know that God is really there? And Dad responds, oh, He's just there. Just trust me, He's there. And little Johnny says, okay, good enough for me, and then walks out of the room. Is that what we want for our kids? If our children accept everything that we believe without ever doubting or questioning or asking any kind of questions of their own and they end up just accepting our faith, lock, stock, and barrel, then what do they have? Yeah, they have our faith. They do not have their own faith. Guess what? That kind of second-hand faith, it will be lame, it will be anemic, and it will be weak. And why? Because it's borrowed. It's not original. It didn't come with the person who is establishing that faith. Look at Hebrews the 11th chapter, please. If you're still in James, just maybe flip back like one or two pages. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is that great chapter about faith. And the writer says there in verse number 6, in Hebrews 11 and in verse 6, he says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. This, I believe, represents what God has always planned and what God has always wanted. A relationship with the people that He created grounded in a strong trust in Him and in who He is and in His character. That He is, first of all, He is there... And furthermore, that He rewards those who are diligently seeking after Him. That is what it means for us to live by faith. But again, you can't live by mom and dad's faith. You can't live off of the preacher's faith. You can't live off of anybody else's faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 teaches that each person has to have their own faith. Their own faith that they built and that they constructed. As a person grows up, they begin to realize that, you know what, the Bible Bible makes some pretty gigantic, some pretty large claims about some things that happened a long, long time ago in a very different land and in a very different time. And as we start to understand and realize all of that, every person needs to be able to wrestle with those questions that arise from that. Every person needs to be able to investigate those claims for themselves. And then what? Yeah, they need to be able to stand on their own living, personal faith. And I think there's a strong temptation here. As parents, the strong temptation here is to just go ahead and just solve every doubt for our kids. Just kind of do the work for them. Little Johnny comes and, you know, oh, you've got a question about creation? Well, well, you don't worry about that, honey. Dad, Daddy's already done a lot of research on that. and Daddy found out that evolution is bogus, so uh, you just go on your merry way. That, that answers that for you. Or hey, you've got some question about the, the validity of different world religions, Buddhism and Islam, and how all those things contrast with Christianity. Well, you know what? You just trust me. There's a verse in the Bible. I don't know where it's at, but it's somewhere in there. And it says that Jesus is the only way to be saved. It's in there somewhere. I know I looked it up once before, but you know what? I think that answers your question for you. What, what, what do you have when we do that? What, what's happening there? Well, what we have is we have the attempt to foist our faith which in some cases is not even a very strong faith in the first place. It's an attempt to foist our faith upon our children 
And then we wonder. We wonder why they don't have their own faith to stand on whenever the storms and the difficulties of life come. I want to suggest to you that by offering those kinds of quick and easy solutions all of the time, what we are doing is we are robbing our children. We are robbing them of the opportunity to investigate and to construct their own robust and sturdy faith that belongs to them and them only. And I think we are so concerned with getting them all the right answers that what we want to do is we want to just hand it to them on a silver platter. You know, here it is. Just swallow it. You just believe it and you just accept it. What we fail to realize is that the journey to faith is just as important as the destination itself. In fact, without the journey, we won't ever actually get to the destination. You will see that in the Bible? Look in the Old Testament. Look in the book of Judges, please. Look in Judges chapter 2. In Judges 2, we are told about this Wild West era in the time of the Israelites known as the Judges. This is the period of time after Joshua and his great leadership. And as a result, this is a period of great wickedness and great rebellion. Well, what in the world happened here? How in the world could the people who claim to be the people of God, how could they behave and act in this way? Well, Judges tells us in Judges chapter 2, look in verse number 10. In Judges 2 and in verse 10, the Bible says that all of that generation, talking about the generation of Joshua, that generation also was gathered to their fathers. And that's a wonderful expression that talks about the idea that they died, they passed on. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. Joshua and his contemporaries, they had fought. They had sacrificed. They had believed. They had worked diligently to inherit that land of promise. But the generation that followed them, they just kind of got it for free. It was just handed to them. They did not have to struggle or fight or learn to depend on God the way that Joshua and his contemporaries had. Can you then see the application to us today? You know, we are blessed to inherit a lot today. Just think about within the context of just a local church. We inherit really nice church buildings. We inherit a a wonderful congregation of people, God's people, who love us and they encourage us and they help us in every kind of way. And as a result of kind of inheriting all of that stuff, it becomes really, really easy for us to just just kind of coast. And you know what? If it's easy for us, then it's even easier for our kids to coast. You know, hey, we're we're just really fortunate here. We were just really, really blessed here. Don't have to struggle. Don't have to work all that hard. Don't have to think about things too much. They took care of that in the years gone by. I'll just kind of put it on cruise control and I'll just coast right along with everybody else. And then all of a sudden, some hard question comes. A hard question maybe from their friend. A hard question from a college professor. A hard question from some book that they've read. And the next thing you know, coasting... Coasting doesn't seem like it's working too well. What I want, what I believe you want, what we want for our kids is to have the faith of Abraham. But Abraham's faith was his own faith. It was not Terah, his father's faith, hundreds and hundreds of miles away in Haran. 
And I want, and I think you want, we want our kids to have the faith of Joseph. But you know what? That also was his faith, not Jacob's faith, hundreds of miles away, that caused Joseph to stand up and to do what was right even in the middle of a pagan land. And I want, and you want, we want our children to have the faith of Daniel who went into Babylonian captivity as a young man, maybe even as a teenager himself, and still he did what was right and he served the Lord. Why? Because he had his own faith. These people that we often refer to as the heroes of faith, they wear that label because they forged their own faith. They had tested their faith. They tried their faith. There were doubts. And then there were answers to those doubts. They constructed their own faith in the Lord and that is what enabled them to stand even in difficult times. And that is what we're looking for with our kids. And that does mean that yes, they're going to have some questions. And yes, there's going to be some things that come up that they're just not entirely sure about. But I want you to understand that that is actually a positive That is evidence that they are making an attempt to try and develop their own faith in the Lord. Not your faith, not grandma and grandpa's faith, but a personal faith between them as an individual and God their Creator. And that is the kind of faith that each and every one of us needs to have. Which leads right into this third and final critical point this evening. Whenever your child does come to you, they express to you that they are wrestling with Doubts of whatever kind it might be. Specifically, we're talking here about doubts of a spiritual nature. Then it is imperative, mom and dad, that you help them to see that they have a responsibility to not allow those doubts to linger. They have a responsibility to get those doubts resolved. Life, of course, always presents some doubts. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, hmm, I don't really like what I'm seeing from these charts. I don't like the results that I'm seeing here. We need to get you to take some further tests here. Or maybe you go to your CPA, and your CPA is looking at all of your tax records and your information. Your CPA says, hmm, I'm not really certain about how you're doing your business here. I'm afraid you might be violating some tax code laws. I need you to get me some additional records. You need to bring me more financials, and let's look at that a little bit more closely. Or maybe even a more simple illustration. You come home one afternoon and you walk into the bedroom and you happen to notice right up there in the corner of the wall one of those wonderful little jaggedy cracks starting to appear. I love it when you come home and see that. And what that looks like as you see that, the first thing you think of is you think, I'm afraid I've got foundation issues. Now in all those scenarios, what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We do something about it. Nobody lets a doctor give them a very concerning and distressing report and then shrugs their shoulders and says, well, hope I don't get cancer, and then walks out of the doctor's office and doesn't do anything about it. Nobody does that. We do something about our health. Or nobody lets their CPA say, well, you know, I'm really concerned about your business practices over there. And then we just sit around and do nothing and wait for the IRS to show up one day and put handcuffs on us. No, we do something about it. And if your walls do get those jaggedy cracks coming out of the corner there, we call somebody. We get a foundation expert in there to check things out. We do something because we know we can't just leave that unchecked. It's going to make things worse if we do. And what I'm trying to say this evening 
is that whenever we have doubts in life about important, critical matters, we got to get them resolved. Doubt means responsibility. You don't walk around and just allow that to just linger. No, you do some investigating. You do the investigative work to get in there and solve it and get it fixed. And I'm saying that tonight. I want our young people to pay attention, teenagers especially. I'm saying that for your benefit. Because sometimes what will happen is you'll have a teenager who says that. They'll say, oh, I've I, I just got some doubts. And they're going to play that kind of almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card. So that, I'll just say, I don't, I've got some doubts so that, so that I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I have some doubts so that I don't have to continue in this awkward conversation the preacher's trying to have with me about my soul. I have some doubts, and I'll use that as a means of, well, I don't have to worry about living the Christian life. That's kind of my response to that. I'm a doubter, and so I'm kind of off the hook. Well, wait, 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 hold on there. Are you a truth seeker, and you are genuinely struggling with some doubts? Where you've done some work here and you're just kind of hung up on a problem that you can't find the answer to? Is that the issue? Or are you just playing that doubt card because you just want to stay home from church tonight? Which of the two is it? Because if you do have real, genuine doubts, whether it's about God, about the Bible, about Jesus, about Christianity in general, then you're going to need to put some work in. You're going to need to put some work in to resolve those Doubts. Remember, mom and dad, truth, truth has nothing to fear from honest investigation, ever. There are a boatload of atheists who have lost their atheism, lost their lack of faith. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But as they began to try and somehow prove that God didn't exist or that the Bible was not God's Word, many, many atheists have had the experience They came to the realization, you know what? I can't deny it any longer. There is a God. This is His Word. And so you see, we want investigation. What we don't want is just a shrug of the shoulders that says, "Eh, I'm not sure and "Eh, I'm not even going to bother to find out whether I believe this way or whether I believe that way. No! Real doubt that leads to searching, that's not a bad thing. Investigating and searching, that is a very good thing. But doubt that just lingers, it's just hanging there, it sits, and it festers, and it boils, and it eats at us, and ultimately it destroys us. we got to do something about that. we got to do something about that. We have got to find some answers. And that takes us right back to that opening text in Matthew 11. Would you go back there again? In Matthew 11, I just love how Jesus handles those questions that John the Baptist had. John the Baptist had some questions, had some seemingly had some doubts. Look at how Jesus handles that. Mom and Dad, maybe we can take some cues from Jesus here. In Matthew 11, look at verse 3 again. John asked, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Now what I love next is that in verse 4, Jesus does not rebuke John. He does not say how irritated he is that John would ask such things. Jesus does not say, now you go back and you tell John how disappointed I am in him. You know, of all people, he ought to know better. He grew up, he's my cousin, we grew up together. He ought to know. No. Look at Jesus' response, verse 4. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. You see what Jesus did there? Jesus offered John some evidence. Some evidence that he could go and investigate for himself. Logical, reasoned evidence. Jesus actually echoes what the prophet Isaiah had said back in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And he says to John, I want you to think about what Isaiah prophesied about. And then I want you to kind of weigh that alongside what you are hearing and what you are seeing in me. Do you see how those work together? That I am the prophesied Messiah. I love how Jesus does that. You think, you examine, you reason, you look at the evidence. That is what Jesus is trying to get us to do. I'm going to tell you tonight that the Bible will present that evidence if you're willing to go looking for it. Mom and Dad, whenever doubt comes, our response to our teenager or preteen or however old they may be, our response to that doubt is not to say to them, oh, you just need to quit talking like that. Don't you be saying that in this house. That's not the right response. The response is not, well, I guess that's just how you feel. I feel this way and you feel that way and I guess we'll just go our separate ways. No! The response to a teenager who expresses some doubt, our response is, alright, it's time to roll up our sleeves. We're going to have to sit down, we're going to have to do some work on this. We're going to have to go to work, we're going to have to do some reading, we're going to do some studying, we're going to do some researching, because this is far too important for us to just leave this hanging undone. We cannot let this linger one way or the other. We're going to figure this thing out. Let me give you one final passage this evening. Look in 2 Corinthians 4. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, Paul speaks here about faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this in verse number 13. In 2 Corinthians 4 and in verse 13, Paul says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak. I want you to please notice that 2 Corinthians 4.13 does not say, Mom and Dad believe, and so I go to church. Young people, that's not what the text says. That text talks about having investigated and thought through any doubt or any kind of struggles to find personal faith. That verse says that I, and hopefully you, want to come to the place where I can say, I believe, therefore I speak. And that is what we are going for whenever we are trying to pass off that baton of faith to our kids. And I realize, I realize we may get a little bit nervous, especially the older a teenager gets. We may get really nervous that that teenager doesn't grab on as tightly or as quickly as we had hoped they would. But I'm convinced that as we listen, as we help to nurture that development of their own personal faith, and as we help our kids to understand that those doubts must and can be resolved, I am convinced that that baton of faith, it can be passed on to the next generation.
Now, as we extend the invitation of the Lord tonight, first of all, if there's not any doubts in your mind, and you're just sitting on the dime, then we want to sing this song in just a moment to encourage you to act on what it is that you believe. To act upon that faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, to repent and turn from sin, and then to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what Acts 2.38 says to do, and you need to do that. And all things are ready for you to do that tonight. Can I extend maybe kind of a maybe an unconventional invitation as well? I'm extending this to our young people, teenagers in particular, and even more specifically, those who maybe are not yet Christians. Are you wrestling with some doubt? Are there some questions that you've not gotten the answers to that you are looking for? I want to tell you maybe the first line of defense, yes, is to go to your mom and dad. But I also understand that sometimes that's kind of uncomfortable, not able to communicate all that well, and, and that's fine. What I want you to know is there is a room full of people here who would gladly sit down with you. We would talk about those things. We will not judge you. We will not think you're some evil person because you have those kinds of questions and doubts. We'll sit down with the Bible and we'll see if we can come to some answers. I'm, I'm offering that as my personal invitation to you. You don't have to come forward during the invitation song and say that you want to ask those questions now. But I want you to know that you can come to me There's a bunch of people here that I've talked to about these very things and they would gladly do the very same thing. Let's work on those things so that we can come to the point where we are confident and we are able to say, Lord, I believe. There's no more doubt to my mind. I do believe and I want to respond to you and give you the service of my life. If you are ready to do that this evening, then would we stand right now and would you make your way down front? Let's do that right now while we stand and while we sing.